We've talked about the energy transition here on the show before many, many times. Um, and uh, we do that because that's the reality. And you know it. A, a, a lot of you don't like it, and I understand why. Um, but it, it is the reality of the world that we live in. So we talk about what does it mean for our province and where do we go from here? Um, it's the direction the world is moving in. And all the signs are there, you know. Um, doesn't mean we don't talk about what we do with our resources because they're also part of this conversation going forward for some time. I'm not one of these guys who says you're just going to turn off the taps. No, not at all. But as we transition, uh, and, you know, you can talk about all the, all the governments bringing in all of their carbon reduction plans and all the rest. Um, auto manufacturers are all in on this with all electric vehicles happening, you know, sooner than we had expected. So far more talk about green initiatives in the oil and gas sector too, because the major producers have recognized this transition that's happening and they, and they, they want to be part of it and they recognize they need to be part of it. So you, you see the mega giants in our province that have adopted some of these policies such as the Oil Sands Pathway to Net Zero Initiative, which was announced early last month. Um, basically what it is, is having net zero in terms of carbon emissions from the oil sands in Alberta. So let's talk about where we are now and where we may end up in all of this and some of the barriers we face and some of the opportunities that we see. We're going to chat with energy industry analyst and writer Markham Hislop now, who's penned a new piece about this called... Revisiting the new Alberta Advantage. Oil Sands Net Zero Initiative is not nearly enough. Okay. Uh, Markham, first of all, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time as always. Good morning, Shay. So, yeah, a new piece, very, very interesting. And it takes a real deep dive into this Net Zero Initiative uh, surrounding the oil sands, which, as I say, I think, you know, the industry recognizes that that's the direction that they need to move in. Um, but you make the case that this plan that was unveiled last month, it's not enough, right? Well, the um, the plan is all about reducing emissions and getting to net zero by 2050. Right now, the oil sands uh, generate about uh, 80 megatons of GHG emissions per year. It's about 10 or 11% of the uh, Canadian emissions. And clearly, the trend is to get those down. As you said, the, the producers recognize this. They're getting a lot of pressure from their investors. And they understand the direction that policy is going, yeah. that markets are going. And so they've, they, put, they launched this. The, big, the five big uh, oil sands producers, you know, like Suncor and Cinerell and Synovus and, and Imperial, launched this. And the experts that I talk to think that it's a very credible plan. I mean, they will get there. But two of the CEOs also told uh, Bloomberg that it will cost about $75 billion, they think, of which two-thirds, about $50 billion, will have to be provided by uh, the, the Alberta and uh, Canadian governments. And so my argument is that emissions, lowering emissions is not enough. And Mark Little, the Suncor CEO, said in the interview, we only have one Achilles heel. And that's emissions. And I would argue, in fact, that the industry has three Achilles heels. The second would be uh, peak oil demand, the destruction of of oil markets uh, over time because of electrification of transportation. And the third Achilles heel is huge environmental liabilities. The the 37's uh, tailings ponds in northern Alberta containing 1.3 trillion liters of uh, uh, of uh, tailings 
is it, the remediation costs are conservatively estimated at $31 billion, with only about $900 million in security applied against that. So what I argued in the op-ed is that if the Canadian government is going to be asked to be involved in this, it should use its financial you know, investment in it to get the, uh, uh, the producers to come up with a plan to address all three risks, mm-hmm. not just one risk. Okay, so let's dig a little deeper into these three risks that are facing our oil sands. First of all, the emissions. Um, you know, we're talking about increased production in the oil sands, too. I mean, and uh, a lot of the issues that surrounded the oil sands, uh, you argue, have gone away in terms of pricing and things like that. We're doing better on that front, and it's more profitable, which means production goes up, which means emissions go up. So you still think that the net zero initiative can reach the goals that they want, even with increased production? Well, the the CEOs certainly do, but history suggests that that is not likely to be the case. Because what's happened over the last decade, for instance, is that they the producers have done a very good job of reducing their emissions per barrel. So they used to have eighty seven kilograms of CO two equivalent per barrel, and they've reduced that down now to about seventy. The problem is that over that period of time, production has doubled from one and a half million barrels a day to three million barrels a day. And so the net uh, consequence of that is that absolute emissions have risen from 68 megatons a year to 80. And and the, the latest uh, forecast for oil sands production from IHS market uh, predicts that there will be another 650,000 uh, barrels a day of supply come on stream between now and, and 2030. So you can see the problem here. You know, the math just doesn't work out. I mean, if you're, you can lower the emissions intensity a little bit, but if you're, if you're increasing your production, you know, by another 25%, that's going to make it very difficult. So I'm not saying they can't do it. Yeah. I'm just saying this is a risk and a challenge they're going to have to address. There's going to need to be some adjustment there. Now, the peak oil one is one that we get into big fights here on the radio about. Um, you know, there's all kinds of forecasts. I think we all assume that we're looking at at least, what, 20 years probably before, or 10, 20 years? I mean, that number is argued in different circles, but we haven't achieved it yet. So, um, but we know that eventually we're going to see a decline there, and that's obviously going to affect the oil sands. Well, look, I've interviewed dozens and dozens of global experts uh, about peak, the various aspects of, of peak oil. In fact, I interviewed the International Energy Agency not that long ago, and their analysts said that we think peak oil is coming in the late 2020s, the early 2030s uh, at the latest. Okay. Now, they're generally considered to be the most conservative uh, forecaster, and there are plenty of other consulting firms and, and forecasters that think it's going to come much much earlier. In fact, BP thinks it's already arrived. So, the But the trends are really clear. Yes. Just about half of oil consumed in the world is for ground transportation. And the industry, uh, the automakers are, you know, all, as you said, all in on electric. The climate policies are favoring electric. Consumers like electric. Battery prices are falling rapidly. On and on and on. The trends are all towards peak oil demand. 
The only issue now is when mm-hmm. and how quickly when we do reach it, how how steep the decline is. So if you were a, if you're a government uh, and a, one would presume the producers sitting at the table and realizing that this is a major uncertainty in your future, you can't look, just look at the at the best case scenario. You also have to consider the worst case sure. scenario from the oil sands point of view. So what happens if peak oil arrives quicker? What happens if decline happens more quickly than we expect? Because the one truism that as long as I've been doing uh, uh, this kind of journalism over the last decade is that the energy transition has arrived quicker than we expect. And if this is the disruptive decade, the 2020s, everything, you know, is all the, the new tech and new technologies are beginning to push oil and gas out of the, the market or soon will be. So it just to assume the best case scenario, in my opinion, is a dangerous way to approach it. Um, okay, and then quickly, the environmental liabilities, that's one that I hadn't thought of, but that's huge. I mean, you're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars that are out there, right? Well, you know, there's 37 of these tailings ponds, and this has been an issue, an ongoing issue for 40 years, yeah. 50 years. And the industry is no closer to solving it than they were, you know, a decade or two ago. And at the same time, the industry is in, incredibly profitable at the moment. Now, are they putting some of that extra money towards, you know, uh, reclaiming these uh, tailings ponds? No, they're not. They're giving it back to investors in the form of dividends and, and share buybacks. So worst case scenario now, if we're going to consider that, is let's say that, you know, peak oil arrives quicker than everybody expects, and maybe the, um, you know, decarbonization, the, you know, the net zero initiative isn't successful or even fails. And suddenly we're looking at 10 or 15 years and there's nobody left there. Who's going to pay for these sure. tailings plots? You know, well, we, we've seen what's happened on the conventional production side where orphan wells. wells have to get paid for by, by the taxpayer. So I think it's a prudent would be a prudent move by governments, uh, and I'm calling on the the Canadian government to, to particularly bring this to the table. Uh, you know, it'd be a prudent move to make sure that these liabilities are included in the negotiations. Okay, Markham, can I get you to hang on for a sec? You bet. Okay, we'll come back uh, with Markham Hissop, and we'll talk about those are the risks, those are the challenges that we face. Um, What are the opportunities and how do we best deal with those risks and make sure we're in the best position for the new Alberta Advantage? We'll talk about that after this. We're talking with Markham Hislop, who is an energy analyst and reporter and author about uh, the situation that Alberta finds itself in and where we go from here. Um, He's recently written an op-ed that is called Revisiting the New Alberta Advantage. Oil sands net zero initiative, not nearly enough. Now, Markham, I think we've covered the risks that the oil sands face going forward. Um, and as you say, it's going to require a pretty concerted effort to mitigate those risks and to capitalize on the opportunity, right? And government plays a key role in all of this. Well, it does. And uh, when the uh, initiative was announced on June the 9th, the Alberta government was part of that announcement. The Canadian government was not. And I know I've seen a couple of uh, industry opinions that they're pretty nervous about that because they think they see that as part of the uh, anti-oil sands, anti-oil and gas industry that supposedly yeah. uh, resides in in Ottawa. I don't I don't see it that way. 
I, I see this as the Canadian government uh, wanting, will probably want to make sure that whatever it does with the oil sands going forward it fits within its climate policies and its long-term uh, energy strategy. And there are things that the oil sands can do. And I want to make it really clear, Shay, I'm, this is not my op-ed and my argument in general about the oil sands is not anti-oil sands. Mm, in fact, know, it's yeah. just the opposite. I know, and, but this is the, the thing, Mark, and this is part of the issue that we have, and you know this better than anybody. The second you and I come on the air and start talking about the transitional economy, I mean, I've got texts saying, we're not transitioning to anything. What are we gonna, where are we going to get the electric? People just get angry, and I understand why they do, but the fact of the matter is, it's the reality that we're living in, and we need to deal with it and look at it, and that's all we're doing. That's exactly right. I mean, these are global trends. These are market trends that Canada has no control over, that Alberta has no control over. It has to adapt to those right. trends because it's going to affect the demand for... Now, but there are there are a couple of opportunities there. So the obvious one, and, and certainly one that the CEOs are thinking about, is the fact that within the 100 million barrel a day global oil market, there's a subsector of that, about 10 million barrels a day, for heavy crude oil. And that it, that market has actually been tightening over the last few years because Venezuela has lost a couple million barrels of, of production and Mexico is in decline. So assuming that those trends continue into the future, a decarbonized heavy crude oil coming out of the oil sands is actually in good shape to be around as long as there is demand for heavy crude oil. So that's that's one good thing. But the second thing is that there is uh, research that's being done in Alberta through Alberta Innovates, the provincial agency, to turn bitumen into carbon fiber and asphalt, uh, 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 into asphalt for making roads and activated carbon, all kinds of other products. So there's an opportunity here for bitumen to go from being a feedstock for fuel mm -hmm. to being a feedstock for materials. And if that transition, if that research uh, turns out to be accurate, and I've interviewed a number of the scientists at Alberta Innovates, I've interviewed uh, Zol uh, uh, an executive from Zoltec, the big carbon fi fiber manufacturing out of Missouri, and there's a lot of optimism that Alberta could become a major carbon fiber manufacturing uh, center. And if that can, can happen, and putting some additional federal funding in would certainly help, then the oil sands can be set up for a long-term sustainable future, maybe out to the end of the century, maybe well beyond the end of the century. And Alberta Innovate says that up be two, three, maybe even four times as much value comes out of a barrel of bitumen uh, for when you use to make materials out of it than you do making fuel out of it. So there's a lot. There's actually a really optimistic upside to this, as long as the industry is put on a, uh, a secure, sustainable. Uh, trajectory, which, in my opinion, the the uh, uh, pathways initiative doesn't do. Are we moving quickly enough, though, Markham? As you said, um, you know, the technology once it starts, the advancements come quick, and, and a lot of what we're talking about in terms of transportation use of oil is going to be, you know, changed by the electrification of transportation, and that's advancing by leaps and bounds. Um, it's not like we have years ahead of us to get this transition happening in Alberta. We need to be doing it now, right? Well, 
from my point of view, uh, and we mentioned talked about this a bit earlier, is that the 2020s are really the big disruptive decade of this energy transition. So we're at the beginning. It's 2021. We've got, let's say, we have a nine-year window here. So, but the, the changes that we're talking about take a long time. None of this happens overnight. There's a lot of capital that has to be marshaled, a lot of R&D that still has to be completed, pilot projects, demonstration projects, commercialization of new technologies. So we really need to put a lot of capital into this and go hard over this decade so that when 2030 arrives, we're competitive and we've made that pivot that we need to make. And the problem here is, and this is what I flagged in, in the uh, in the op-ed, is that we're only talking about one of those three risks. Right. We're only talking about the one Achilles heel, and we're ignoring the, the other two. And I'm suggesting that we need to put all three on the table, all three into the public conversation, and then marshal the resources, including public investment, to make it happen. And as we said, you know, a lot of people just get angry at the mere thought of this. But, you know, industry seems to be recognizing a lot of the things that we're talking about. I mean, it's it's the reality that we live in. It's moving in that direction. And as you said, we have no control over that. But, it, you know, that's that's the arena that we're playing in. And denying it isn't going to help anybody. Jay, I can tell you, I in the last 18 months, I've conducted over 600 interviews with global uh, energy experts. And when you get outside Alberta, and even when you get outside Canada, you get a completely different view of the energy transition. The, the technology and, and, to a lesser extent, policy is changing so rapidly that, you know, and I'm talking about around electric technologies yeah. like batteries and electric vehicles and power grids and all that. It's changing so rapidly. The pace of change is so rapid that it it's hard when you're sitting in Alberta worrying about the oil and gas industry, you miss all of that, you know, those big, those big changes. And we need, and, can't, and Alberta needs to start thinking about that. It needs to start thinking on a bigger scale of where it fits into the energy transition. And it needs a plan. The Alberta government's got to get on board with this. You know, the Premier Kenny has made a few small uh, steps in the right direction, he needs to make a lot more. And the federal government really needs to work with Alberta and industry on this and have everybody together pulling in the same direction and putting the resources on the table that are, that are required. And the, the penalty, the risk of not planning and not uh, getting this process started is that we arrive in 2030 unprepared. And, and, and we're being acted upon by right. market forces and by policies that we have no control over. We're the guy in the blockbuster wondering why everybody's watching Netflix and, and how we missed the boat, essentially, is what happens. Because things that, move on. That's exactly, that's exactly right. Alberta, Alberta runs the risk of being blockbuster. If not in 2030, maybe in 2040, <laughs> and that's not that far away. Okay, thanks very much, Mark. I'm always a great chat. Thank you so much, sir. Always a pleasure, sir. That is Markham Hislip, who is an energy uh, analyst and energy journalist and publisher.